Welcome to another round, the podcast that gives you an insight into brewing. My name is Yonidar, and with me today, I got a very special guest, the man that brought Kvaik to the world. It's my great pleasure to welcome Lars Marius Gashel, author, beer lover, and um, the quote-unquote inventor of Quake in a modern sense. Uh, Lars Marius, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Uh, please don't call me inventor of Quake. I think, uh, <laughs> I, that's, I not, that's not entirely accurate. <laughs> no, that's that's true. But Quake is going to be what we're talking about, and I said it in a mm-hmm. in a kind of a humorous way because uh, we're of course talking about one of the most um, I, I call it probably one of the most important contribution Norway has given to uh, the modern brewing society in. Uh, probably forever uh, so we'll, we'll dive into that but before we get get into into that maybe you can tell a little bit about your your background and how you how you came into to beer yeah so uh i was a software engineer and uh kind of slowly got introduced to you know as a norwegian uh, th- there used to be only one kind of beer or and that was pale lager uh, maybe dark lager for Christmas. Um, and I sort of slowly discovered that there was more beer out there uh, and, and gradually got more and more interested in in tasting it. And the thing that um, the thing that really kind of attracted me was all the variety that there was mm. and and also the fact that uh, it was sort of geographical, so you would see that, the German beer was a couple of ways. Then English beer was different from that. And then there was Belgian. And I, I enjoyed, you know, traveling, trying different kinds of beers and, and got more and more serious about it. Mm. I took a beer judging exam. And I used rate beer for many, many years, you know, to take notes. So it got, it got to a fairly... Fairly serious hobby level, I guess I would say. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good way, good way to uh, to to describe it. And then um, we have talked in the past as well. And you say you came to a point where you, I wouldn't say that you have tasted it all, but you, uh, from my understanding, you you were looking for looking for something new, as many beer drinkers do. But your road to something new is kind of different than a lot of other brewers because you. And ended up going, quote unquote, in your own back backyard. Yeah, I did a detour, but it, but it's true as you say that um, you know I wasn't getting bored, but there was a sense that I had sort of mapped the globe and I knew what there was, uh, and I didn't expect to you know go somewhere and, and find something really very new. Uh, and then it was a book that I got for Christmas from my wife about this. Uh, Danish brewer, Per Kölstedt, who wanted to, uh, he wanted to make a type of Nordic beer where you could taste that it was Nordic. That was kind of his goal. And he turned to traditional brewers and he went to visit one in Lithuania. And, mm-hmm. and when I read the chapter about this guy in Lithuania, it, he made his own malts, he grew his own hops, and he kept the yeast in the well. And I couldn't even figure out how he was making the beer. And I thought, Wow, this is interesting. So I went to uh, I went to Vilnius just you know to see what was around and was completely blown away by 
not just one beer, but a whole beer scene full of stuff that I didn't even know what it was. Mm. And, and it was... Hmm? No, go ahead. And so it wasn't trying to figure out, you know, what is this? Why do these beers taste so weird? Uh, that I eventually figured out that, oh, it's farmhouse brewing. It's it's these people are brewing beer that's different because they don't, they barely know what has been going on in modern brewing at all. Mm. Uh, so they were building on the tradition from for brewing on the farms and had learned from, you know, parents and grandparents. And it, it was just a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And then from that, I sort of went to Norway. You came came uh, came back. Uh, oh, through through this this whole thing, you were uh, continuously blogging at gashol.priv.no. Uh, uh, we'll put yeah. we'll put a we'll put a link up in uh, in the show notes for uh, for the blog as well. So you you were documenting your um, uh, experiences and discoveries, and uh, you came to Norway and you found out that the traditional farmhouse uh, beer scene in Norway was. Uh, something that one you and probably everyone else that were beer geeks at that point have not heard about, and two was uh, something that has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, what was your first discovery into Norwegian farmhouse ales? Um, so uh, uh, we, I, people who were seriously interested in beer in Norway, knew that it existed. Uh, but we didn't know much more than that, and nobody had sort of reflected that perhaps it could be important, other than some, you know, weird thing happening in the countryside. And I think my first experience with it was a, a bottle of beer that two friends of mine they went to central Norway, Stjardal, and and bought a one and a half liter uh, Pepsi Coke bottle full of this farmhouse ale. And they, it was actually passed around. So one guy tasted it first, then he went to another one, then it went to me. And I was completely astonished right away because what the flavor told me was that this guy who made the spear, he was not a modern brewer at all. He was he was not doing any of the things that we were familiar with. Mm. Uh, and so it was the same sort of realization as in Lithuania that you don't have a farmer in Stjordal who sort of reinvents the concept of beer all by himself. He has to come out of some tradition. And if the beer is this different, he has to come out of some tradition that's completely different. Mm. So then where does it come from? Yeah. <laughs> and and it turns out it comes from, it's come from traditions. Like you, you're saying, it comes from, from generation passing on the knowledge to, the new uh, generation, and you found out that uh, that Chardon, uh, is not the only place where farmhouse ales are being brewed in Norway. Um, and through your discoveries, uh, or not not your discoveries, but through your uh, your um, uh, travels and exploration and documenting uh, Norwegian farmhouse, and and I, I would actually say not only Norwegian because you've also done a lot of in Estonia and Lithuania and and, and uh, Latvia and, and whatnot, but in Norway, you're discovering what we're talking a little bit about today, which is kvike uh, as one of uh, many traditional ways of of uh, creating um, uh, farmhouse Norwegian ale. So, uh, what was 
what was the first time where you where you found the yeast and you went like, well, wait a minute, this is a little bit this is a little bit different than anything that I've uh, I've seen been used in in modern brewing. So when I came back from uh, Lithuania, I I decided that um, you know this Lithuanian stuff was interesting. It was farmhouse, and we had farmhouse in Norway, and and it was like, why haven't I ever looked at this? Like this is stupid. Uh, and so I teamed up with um, with a Canadian journalist who was also interested in Lithuania, and um, we did a lot of preparation to do a tour of Norway because it's very hard to find this stuff. And that was when I started hearing these rumors about Craig, when we started digging into it, mm. um, that people in Vos apparently had some kind of yeast that nobody knew where it came from, but they had sort of kept it in the villages. Uh, and I knew from reading that there was a tradition of the farmers having their own yeast. So it could be the same that had always been used in Norway. We, we didn't know. The, the the brewers in Vos were not making any claims about that. They just said it was theirs and it came from there. And then we went to to brew with a guy in Vos, Sigmund Jarnes, uh, and his brewing process was interesting, and the, the, you know all of that was interesting. But uh, it was when he he brought out this uh, two liter glass jar full of deep dark brown yeast. And, and put it, you know, just put it on the table. He didn't say anything, but just looking at it, you could tell that, oh, oh, it's true. He does have his own yeast. It's he's he's not making this up at all. Um, and then we discovered that he made orange aroma, and that was like, oh, oh, well, that's new. Nobody's heard of that before. And then just before we were leaving, because you know, the last thing he does is he pitches the yeast, mm. and the Canadian journalist sees that. You you've wrapped up the fermenter in uh, an insulating mat. Like why? Well, so it won't be too cold. Uh, and the, and uh, Martin goes, well, but usually people are worried it will be too hot. Like what's your pitch temperature? Oh, it's thirty nine. <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> what the? <laughs> and that was. Um, that was for me that was very significant because uh you know historically them still having their own yeast is of course uh super interesting and significant for how we look at uh you know the evolution of yeast and the history of it and the use of it and all of those things but um these things suggested that the yeast was also different and therefore interesting just in itself mm. so it's like a, a, a double whammy in a sense and and then of course my question to you is you're 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 finding out that they're using something which is not very common to find in any sort of beer production uh but you are uh, uh and uh, excuse my language just a software engineer how, how do you go about um sort of categorizing and discovering more about this this yeast do you do you all of a sudden just change direction of your education and just start doing microbiology or, or uh, how do you, um, how, how was the process of, of actually knowing what was going on with fake? Well, I mean, the, uh, the analysis of the yeast is done by professionals, right? Microbiologists. Um, but I did have to sort of change the direction of my education because uh, just to understand what they were saying. Mm. Uh, and, I wanted 
to do a little bit more than that because I, f I wanted to know, you know, how did we end up with the yeasts that we have that we already knew? Like that story wasn't very well documented or known. And so I felt I had to learn that to see how to fit uh, the new yeast into it. So, you know, I have a decent science education to begin with. And I'm, then I just spent a lot of time uh, reading, yeah, microbiology papers. Mm. <laughs> so, but, but most of that was simply to be able to understand what, what the labs were saying. So mm. when I first sent the sample from Sigmund into, into a yeast lab, uh, I expected them to sort of tell me, you know, it's like this is related to these other yeasts, you know, in these ways and blah, 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 but especially in these ways. And, and the answer wasn't like that at all. They gave me the species and that was it. And I tried to push them like, what, uh, you know, Mr. Special, can you see anything? And they said, well, it has a moderately well-developed pseudohyphelia. And I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of the moment when I realized that mm, I have to I have to learn more otherwise I won't know what they're actually saying yeah <laughs> I, I, I think it's um, I think it's kind of fascinating knowing now what Quake um, is but how far away from knowing what you had at that <laughs> that point it sounds like uh, how big of a difference it is because mm -hmm. uh, now of course uh, a, a lot of modern uh, breweries are um, are both know how uh, know what quake is but also how to use it uh, for their own needs but can you talk just tell us a little bit about how is a traditional norwegian farmhouse brewer how is he using quake uh, in his uh, brewing right there's a lot of variation but there are just there are some things that are the same. So uh, they typic they always make a yeast starter, probably because they want to know if it's alive. Mm -hmm. um, and also uh, there's a lot of tasting involved. So if you have the yeast liquid, you will taste it before you use it. Because, oh, okay. you know, there's no lab. There's no other way to tell if it's good or not. Um, and then the pitch is yeah, 30 to 40 degrees centigrade. Um, historically, uh, basically, they seem to have uh, pitched milk warm, which is to say body temperature. Mm. It's an EC temperature to recognize. And this this isn't special for Norway. It was like that in farmhouse brewing all over Europe. Um, and then typically a very short fermentation. Like we're, we're talking a couple one, of days? One to two days, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then you have to harvest the yeast. Which you can do either from the from the foam on top, uh, or you can wait a bit. You know, take off the take off the beer and then do it from the bottom. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, you now have to somehow preserve this yeast until you're going to pitch it again, right? And whoa, there's a, I mean, there's an uh, endless list of ways to do that. So, but what it boils down to is um it's best if you dry it and you can dry it pretty much any way any way you want as long as it's relatively quick but not so quick that you kill the yeast mm. and the, the reason uh, it's best to dry is that say you're keeping it six months right and you keep it liquid then things other than your yeast can grow in this culture mm. 
and, and become you know, a larger proportion of the culture as time goes by. Whereas if you dry it, everything stops. There's no more development. And there are there are several ways of 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 drying it, which is traditional. I think the 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 ring, the uh, the, yeah. the one the one to bind them all, so to speak, <laughs> uh, is the the one which is most um, most famous. Uh, but there are several other ways that it, it has been done or are being done, from my understanding. Yeah, the the ring was quite rare, and if you you know if you spend a little moment just looking at it you see why it's quite hard to make yep <laughs> so a yeast log which is you know a piece of wood uh was very common but mm. just making a ring of straw uh using juniper branches using cloth was actually the most common yeah really? and when you think about it the cloth will uh, you know soak up the liquids spread it out in the cloth and it will steam up more easily some people would put it over a bucket of ash so that the ash would take the uh, uh, humidity as well uh-huh. or but you could just use you know baking parchment smear it on that uh, newspaper yeah <laughs> uh, Sigmund Jarnes has started using uh, a mushroom dryer ah smart <laughs> yes <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's <laughs> yeah but it's it's that's like archetypical uh farmhouse where you go well i need to solve this and of course there's no textbooks nobody tells you what to do and you just that looks like a good solution and it's dead simple works yeah that's fantastic i love it <laughs> so this discoveries that you're doing um it results in um Gorsel, the Norskölle, so farmhouse beer, uh, beer, the Norwegian beer, which came out in 2016. And since there, you've had uh, several um, articles and publications. Uh, last one, uh, from my understanding, is how to brew with quake. That is uh, oh, you mean the scientific ones? No, there yeah. were quite a few after that. Yeah, okay. But so the, was, I did the I did the one paper on fermentation temperatures and one on fermentation times. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's, and there's plenty. You also have of uh, a, a rough guide of Lithuanian beer, of Estonian beers, and yes. and uh, a lot of it, you're you're very deep down in in uh, in tradition and, and farmhouse uh, brewing. Of course, being an expert in in the field, I would uh, I would be so um, non modest to to say. But uh, now that you, I, I think in Norway at least, you're being regarded as someone who has. Uh, discovered quake we know you were not the inventor of it but you were the one that took it (laughs) took it from the farms and and out to uh, regular uh, beer drinkers uh, in many ways and now you find quake being uh, produced by um, uh, yeast laboratories um, around the world uh, and we're seeing quake being used in a very very different way than someone like sigmund ever has Um, how how does that feel seeing uh, discovering something as traditional, something I would say as pure and untouched as 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 Quake, and seeing it being used in everything from New England IPAs to Pilsners uh, and beyond? How is how is that? How how does it feel? Well, I, to a large extent, it doesn't feel at all because uh, you know. I wrote some blog posts. I sent some, sent some, you know, tubes by mail. It doesn't feel like it was me doing it, and and I guess that's because it's like you 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 give a snowball the first push, right, and mm-hmm. it rolls by itself. Yeah. 
and it really was like that. So uh, at the at the same time, I you know if if you're thinking about what has happened, uh, I have very mixed feelings about it because you know uh, this was dying out. It was it was going to disappear. Mm. Um, because people, you know, most people in these areas were not taking it seriously and did not, how do I put it, uh, did not consider it to be anything of value at all, just, you know, something weird. Uh, so the number of brewers and so on was declining. Um, and so my concern was to get it out into the world and to get it used so that it wouldn't die out. And, and, and that problem has certainly been solved. So, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. Um, um, you know, I'm, I don't mind the yeast being sold. I'm wearing a T-shirt here that says Hohenindal. It's an ad for uh, Omega yeast, which is which uh, sells the yeast. So that's fine. I think that's great. Um, but I was hoping that you know the, the the I felt that the most important part was the the traditional ways of brewing and the traditional beer. And there has absolutely been interest in that, but nothing like what there has been for Quake. No. Um, so I'm maybe a little, you know, a lot of this yeast is used for brewing hazy IPAs, and and there's okay. I mean, people should be allowed to do that. There's nothing wrong with that, it, but uh, maybe we could do something more. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a, a little, a little. Uh, unhappy about that but um and then there's also of course you know the the people that this comes from haven't received all that much attention like Mm. they perhaps deserve and i'm a little disappointed by that the people uh don't seem to care very much where it comes from which is a little weird to me because you know originally um the beer scene was about the American craft brewers taking European traditions and modifying them, uh, which is fine. I mean, of course they should modify them since they come from somewhere else. Uh, but people were then, you know, very much aware where these things came from and trying to, I'm not sure how to put this. Um, the brewing scene seems to, have, seems to have lost some of the, uh, some of the seriousness that it had. Mm. Uh, and uh, but I'm I'm kind of losing the subject now because that doesn't really have anything to do with Quake. No, it, it's really two separate development that just happened mm. to happen at the same time. That's a good point. Yeah, it seems like the um, from your discoveries and explorations, they have taken that one piece of a bigger puzzle, and uh, they're only focusing on that one piece and not that much on the rest of the puzzle. So it's yeah, like a and- half finished picture. Yeah, it is. But at the, at, so I don't want to, you know, for each individual brewer, if someone decides, oh, this is just what I need for my hazy IPA. Well, I mean, that's perfectly fair because it's reasonable. It's, 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 a, it's a sensible decision. Uh, it's more that when you see 95% of the brewers, it looks like doing that. It feels like it feels like there's something wrong with the brewing community more than... Uh, more than with the specific issue, I guess. Mm. It's an interesting take on it, and I think it's it just goes to show how complex uh, beer can be, and how 
simple we tried to make it as professionals within this industry. Um, it, peop, the, the general beer drinker, I think, likes things easy. And uh, if we try to complicate it too much, uh, the risk of um, getting a little bit of a pushback might be not worth it, um, <laughs> maybe in a commercial sense. Yeah, there's something about, you know, you said professionals. I mean, a professional is someone who makes a living from making beer, right? And, you know, naturally getting your salary is going to be the first consideration, which I think mm. is perfectly reasonable. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, as you say, for a lot of the people who, who drink beer, uh, a lot of them mainly care how it tastes or, and, you know, the effect that it has. Uh, which is also fair, but I think there's been a change that people used to. It used to be that the people who drank craft beer had a more serious interest in it, and then when we, you know, the success, uh, if you will, of of craft beer um, led the community to include a lot of people who don't care that much, mm. which it's natural, but maybe we lost something on the way. That's a good. Um... It's, but it's, we, I feel we're I feel we're drifting from the subject. Though. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. But and um, but uh, moving it back then and uh, to to close things out, uh, if if people want a little bit of a uh, bigger uh, piece of the puzzle, uh, of course you have several publications. Historical brewing techniques is one. Of course, if you understand a little bit of Norwegian, then the uh, the the Norskøl. Is is a good one as well, but uh, just within a few um, weeks of this uh, recording, at least uh, you have Norsk Kornel Festival. Uh, so, uh, I would uh, how would you translate that to to English? <laughs> I usually say the Norwegian Farmhouse Ale Festival. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the few places where you can get a look at the full the full picture, the full puzzle, so to speak. Not only. Uh, this one very fascinating, very useful and interesting thing called Quake, but the whole picture. And I think, uh, I think what you're doing doing there is uh, is really inspiring for, and hopefully some of the people listening to this as well can can um, take the trip there. It's it's not very central. Uh, let's be honest with that. But it's uh, it's uh, the only way I think to properly meet the people behind uh, the Norwegian farmhouse sale and Quake and. Not only Lars Marius, uh, but uh, like the people who uh, who has taken care of our traditions for uh, hundreds of years. Yeah, I, th I think it's a good way to put it because you know if if you're going to stay in the U.S., then I would recommend that you read uh, historical brewing techniques. But mm. then you sort of have me as the messenger in between you and the tradition. Mm. Whereas if you go to to the festival. Uh, which takes some dedication, absolutely yeah. <laughs> does. Uh, but if you do go there, then you can cut out the middleman and you can you can see the brewing for yourself. You can talk to the people that Craig comes from. You can ask them any question you like mm. and you can come home with dried chips. So it takes a lot more effort, but of course you get a lot more back as well. Yeah, for sure. And you get to meet a lot of... Uh... Very interesting people. Uh, yes, Absolutely. thank you, thank you. I was looking for for, for a good word uh, phrasing there. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Lars Marius, we will of course uh, put all the the links and and everything to the blog and the books and everything in the show notes. I just uh, want to uh, thank you once again for for uh, your your dedication towards farmhouse ales in in Europe and uh, especially in Norway, being uh, being Norwegian and. Uh, Look forward to seeing your your future discoveries and uh, and your knowledge being shared with us uh, 
beer professionals. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. Thank you, yeah. Lars Marius. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another round. Please uh, rate and review the podcast on wherever you're listening to it uh, to help spread awareness of it to more beer people. And feel free to share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you.